0: Just mentioned in uh, prayer. This is a a time when, as a as a nation, we have been we've been made aware of just how fragile really life is. You know, we live in our neighborhoods, and um, we consider ourselves pretty well taken care of. And yet, we recognize that a lot of the neighborhoods that we saw on the news look a lot like ours. A lot of the folks on the news look a lot like us. And it's, it's a reminder, About a few years ago we were looking at a similar thing in, uh, in New Orleans. Same kind of thing. Something unpredictable, something that came out of nowhere suddenly comes into the lives of thousands of people and wreaks havoc on them. And every time it happens, I have the same response. What should I do? What can I do? What's the right thing to do? I get lots of things like Pastor Tim said. My inbox starts to fill up with, send money here, send money there, send money over here. Uh, Organizations I've never heard of suddenly start emailing me things. So, I just have these three suggestions. Pray. If you want to know what to do, pray. This is not lightweight, low-budget Christian answer to a problem. A lot of folks say, they just, I don't know what it is. We think that if we pray, we've somehow just kind of undercut the response that should have been there. This is response number one. This is sending in the SWAT team. This is getting the big guns on the scene. When we pray, the God of the universe brings His authority into the situation. Pray. Every believer in the country should pray. Certainly every believer in this place should pray. Pray. Pray for the power and strength and will and presence of God. For the comfort and presence of the Holy Spirit. For the people of God to be there and show up and represent. Pray. Div. Think carefully, investigate, consider, and give. If you have the money to go to a fast food restaurant, you have money to give. If you have money to go to a coffee shop, you have money to give. All of us, with a little bit of thought, could give give to those who will bless these folks and not skim big pieces off the top. That's why you need to be careful because some of these organizations are simply there to scam folks in a time of need. Look for organizations that are commonly understood and look them up on the internet if you don't know. There's lots of information about the scams out there. Be careful. Be thoughtful. Be prayerful. And give. Now, on the giving front, it's time to put this into your long-term giving plan. This is going to take several years. So you need to consider over the next few years giving to support this. What might I give over the next few years to help with this? How might I give? And I know many of you already give to lots of things. And here's an opportunity for God to show you His blessings even more because you've emptied another pocket. And there he is, taking care of you anyway. And then go. Now I say go a little bit cautiously because you don't want to rush down there right now. Right now, they have more than they can handle. If you showed up today, they wouldn't know what to do with you, where to put you. The Cajun Navy already answered, don't take your boat. Lots of good things are going to be done here. Lots of opportunities to be a blessing are going to be available to you. When the time comes, Put your skills out there, put your availability out there, and be ready to go. This also is going to go on for a couple of years, maybe as many as five if if Katrina is any kind of a representation, where there will still be need for folks to show up and help out in restoration and rebuilding. In the next few weeks, in the next few months, there's going to be a tremendous need for people just to haul trash out of buildings just to help with the most basic things. You don't need to know how to be a carpenter to haul a wet mattress out of a building. So as you start looking at opportunities, plan on giving something of your time, the most precious commodity in modern life. Give of yourself, give of your skills, give of your time. So I want you to consider as we look at this mess, The whole, the sort of word for the day is disorientation. Can you imagine waking up with four feet around your house of water? Can you imagine waking up inside your house and outside your house as a whole group of alligators looking for a dry place to land? It happened. Can you imagine catching a fish in your front room? It happened. disorientation is where all these folks are sitting. As they start to try to reorient, as they start to try to get life back together, they're going to need a lot of help. So I want to just want to ask you, pray, give, and go. Next week, as Pastor Tim said, we're going to be taking up a special offering for Adventist Community Services. Adventist Community Services, at this point, is putting their first foot forward. Their first foot is to get cleanup up. Uh, kits to folks just to send stuff in that they can use to help clean up. All packaged in a bucket so they can use the bucket when they get the stuff out. That's one way you can help. But there will be many, many more. Don't let this slip off of your radar by the time the Super Bowl comes. Pray. Give. Go. Okay? If you came in today and you thought maybe you had showed up for a 65 hippies reunion, you're not too far off. 1965, I was four. I'm pretty sure, coming from Ohio, there were no tie dye diapers in my bag. But today is tie dye day at Grace Point. So raise your hand if you have tie dye on. See all those folks? They were here last week, and they heard about it. I see Lee brought his peace uh, sign, so he could fit in. So he's got to to upgrade that to about nineteen, well, about two thousand five. <laughs> then you have to say it with a certain attitude: "Peace." The reason for the tie dye is because Jesus was not your average, ordinary, customary guy. Jesus threw the entire world off its moorings when he showed up. He changed everyone's opinions of who God was. He promised a better future than was accessible when he came. With almost anyone who's nonconformist, there's the hope for a better future. There's a future, a difference, something that's, that's not as it is now, something that would be changed. Now, for some of the folks who, who show up uh, in, in hopes for a better future, all they have is hope. But when you had Jesus, you not only had hope, you had authority and you had power as well. And when Jesus begins this sermon we've been talking about, this Sermon on the Mounts, as we're talking about the introduction, the Beatitudes, when Jesus begins this particular sermon, he begins with a list of things. And this list of things in his introduction, we have often read as as we dropped into a coma at the beginning of the sermon. I hate it when that happens. When I get up and I look out and I just see heads start to lean. You've made it all the way through prayer and now you're going to lean just a little. It's like a listing ship sometimes. Jesus is not making a list to to put people to sleep and yet it it reads like this. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's how we read it. Probably I read it with more expression than most of us read it blessed are you wh- when you are persecuted for righteousness for yours is the kingdom of heaven and we, we've read these things and heard these things and we've particularly heard them in this verbiage so many times that they almost slip past us in fact I think sometimes like with the Lord's prayer we don't read we just, we just state what we know from memory we just run through the list blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who work blessed. blessed are the meek blessed are we just bam 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 through them without stopping to even consider what's being said, let alone recognizing what's going on. Jesus is starting a sermon, the one sermon that gets written down. Now think about it. Jesus preached lots of times. This is the most memorable sermon of them all. These guys wrote this one down. And yet we start the introduction to the sermon with this sleepy little list, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will inherit the earth. And we just kind of, or they will be comfortable by God, sorry. I can't even remember how good it goes. We just kind of sleep our way into the beginning of it. Jesus goes up on a mountain just like Moses. He calls his disciples to him like Moses called the elders of Israel. And the people gather around to hear and he starts through a list that's like the commandments for the New Testament. He's giving this, this founding, this, this base principle, this place to start. And we're wrapping it up today. We're kind of closing it out. That's why we, we call this is tie-dye Sabbath, because we're closing out this, this expression of Jesus, this introductory statement of Jesus, this foundation, principle, nature that Jesus puts out there with this final one, blessed are you, when people persecute you. Does this one sound a little disruptive? It's good when people persecute you because I don't like you that much anyway. Well, yeah, that could easily be the second half, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because they kind of irritate me. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is how Jesus ends this thing. It starts with your personal reflection. It moves into the transformation that happens when you connect with God. And then it moves on to other people's reactions. Do you get it? It starts with your personal reflection. I realize my spiritual poverty. It moves to the interaction with God that begins to transform me. And it ends with how people will react when you do this. You know, Jesus is always truthful and honest. Jesus does not say, take up your pillow and your bed and follow me. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Following me is not going to always be easy. And when he gets to the end of this opening, this introduction to how Christianity works, he says, man, when you get to this point where things are different for you, when you get to this point where you're the bringer of peace, when you get to this point where your life starts to affect people around you and disrupt the norms of the world, people are going to react and it's not going to be good. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Let's start with a little review so you can, those of you who are here for the first time can, can catch what, we're, what we've been building on. Let's start with a little bit of a review of these verses. If you're looking for them, they're in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible with you today or if you have a, a device you want to flip open to Matthew, excuse me, chapter 5, you're going to see a little bit of a different phrasing. The reason there's so much different phrasing is because you've heard this so many times you stop listening. When you read the same thing over and over, you kind of stop listening when you hear it again. And so as we go on to this today, they're going to see some different phrases on the board, like this one. It's awesome to recognize your spiritual poverty. It's awesome to recognize your spiritual poverty. Because people like that have a reservation for heaven. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's awesome. When Jesus is saying these things that we read, Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, note that the are is not there. If you look in your text, it's italicized, tilted a little bit. Italicized means it's not actually in the original language. That verb is not there. So he's saying, oh man, awesomeness, amazingness, how cool is it when you recognize your spiritual poverty? Fantastic to recognize your spiritual poverty. Why? Because when you recognize your spiritual poverty, then a place in heaven is reserved for you. Bam! Do you need anything else? Could you just go home after that sermon right there? Could you say, got it, good, awesome, going home? Could you? Could could that reality change the way you looked at things? You see, everybody had been teaching that you earned your place in heaven, that you measured up, you climbed the ladder high enough, and finally when you got to the top rung, they let you in. The problem is no one knew anybody who would gotten to the top rung. Lots of people lied about getting to the top rung, but no one actually knew anybody who would gotten to the top rung. Jesus just said, hey, if you reach the bottom rung, just recognizing you need to have a ladder, you're in. Is that theologically disruptive? Is that a little disorienting to you? Would you like it if there was just some, some box to check? Even if there was just one or two boxes you could check? Just, uh, Lord, I, I want to know that I've gotten in because I deserve to be in. That's really what I want to know. And he said, well, you don't deserve to be in, so too bad for you. <laughs> no, he said, I deserve to be in, and I want you to come with me. I'd like to have you there. I, don't, I, I wouldn't want heaven without you. <laughs> It's amazing when that recognition causes mourning. Now, understand that this word for mourning in the Greek, we talked about it before, is heartbreak. The kind of heartbreak that happens when you lose somebody you dearly love. When your heart is totally broken by the fact that you recognize your spiritual poverty, God will personally comfort you. He will personally come and comfort you. God steps in when you recognize your need. Boom. We can start making sound effects. Bam, boom. God steps in when you recognize your spiritual need. Why doesn't God step in before you recognize your spiritual need? Because you don't want Him. You have no interest in it. A relationship requires two parties to be engaged. And you're not engaged. You're not even interested at all. So when you finally recognize your spiritual poverty, God steps in. And when that breaks your heart, He comforts you and He draws you close to Him. And He says, I'm willing to die to get you home. Just come with me. It's powerful. It's powerful to be humbled because of this. The whole earth will be your inheritance. The whole earth will be your inheritance. It, when you are struck to humility and meekness because of your recognition of your poverty, the whole earth is your inheritance. When, when, that, when that recognition gets inside of you, when that recognition takes hold of you, God can start to bless you. It's fantastic to then feel hungry and thirsty for righteousness when you recognize your need and it makes your heart break and it humbles you and you just start to desire it with all of your heart. When you get to that point, God will fill your needs. More than you need. Abundantly. The text, the Greek in this text is very clear. It's, it's an overabundance. It's more than enough. He's not just barely filling the cup. He's filling the cup till it pours over and runs out on the plate like leather beasts. He's filling more than you need. And you know what happens when He fills more than you need? It starts to spill on the people around you. Isn't it beautiful? To spill Jesus on folks. It's so cool when your heart begins to be merciful because God is merciful to you. It's so cool because this is the first transformational thing. You were hungry and thirsty and then all of a sudden something began to change in you. Now you're a different person. You begin to be like Jesus. You begin to be a a purveyor of mercy. You begin to feel a change in your life and mercy becomes part of who you are. And the fruits of the Spirit begin to grow and begin to blossom and you begin to become like Christ in this way. You, because of His mercy for you, you are now starting to be merciful to others. How phenomenal when your heart is purified. When that stony heart that won't even beat starts to beat as a fleshly heart. Transplant has been taking place. God has given you a new heart. That that purity of motive begins to take hold. You and I both know we fight against this our whole life. That, That disrupted, impure motive keeps coming back. God says, look... When that little bit of purity starts in, we're good. When that little bit of purity, we know we're on the right track. A seed is planted and stuff will grow. When that purity begins to happen, when some transformation of who you are at the inside begins to take place, that is phenomenal. Then you will be able to see God. When you see different motivations, you see different sources. You begin to see who God is. It is out it is outstanding when you bring peace to others when you become like the prince of peace a purveyor of peace when you begin to bring peace to others you will be called God's children you start showing up in places where things are going hard and you start to bring peace this, this, is, not, this, is, this is not a peace rally folks this is not carrying a sign you know this is not this is not a peace rally this is not this okay this this is when your life brings peace when you are an, an ex, when you are an experience of peace because of your presence because of your walk with Jesus when your life begins to bring peace. When you are actually making peace in the place where you arrive, remember that statement to the disciples. When you go to a community, when you walk into a house and they accept you, let your peace settle in that house. When you are one who brings peace, people will recognize you're a child of God. Do you see the progression of spiritual growth here? Do you see it begins with your recognition of need and it ends when you start emulating God? Do you see how that works? Do you see it? Is that clear? Is it, is it somewhat clear? Is it a little bit clear? Go, look, go read the beginnings of the of little book, Mount of Blessings. You'll kind of see the same kind of a sketch going through it. I've been reading these passages for 30 years. didn't dawn on me until about three months ago that this was actually making a trip. It was taking us on an experience, taking us through an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Then Jesus delivers the bad news part. When you start to change, people aren't going to like it. It's disruptive. It's disorienting. It's disorienting to other people when your life changes. It's disorienting to your family when your life changes. Anybody here a convert? Raise your hand if you did not grow up in Christianity, but you converted to Christianity at some point in your life. Raise your hand. you got to raise it high enough that I can actually see it. Some of you are doing this. Okay. When you converted... Did it mess up your relationships in your family? Did it kind of disrupt things with your wife, your kids, your, your relatives? Did it, did it make going to the family Thanksgiving dinner or the family picnic a little more awkward? Yeah, you bet it does. Because you've changed some of your practices and some of your habits. And now you're talking about Jesus, which everybody knows is irritating. What are the two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite company? politics and religion. We've stopped talking about religion, but we don't ever stop talking about politics. Isn't that crazy? What if we quit talking about politics and just talked about religion? Man, Facebook would be a different place, wouldn't it? What would Donald write on Twitter? Don't know. Jesus begins to talk about the consequences of a lack of conformity. Being a nonconformist has consequences. You show up looking different, people look at you funny. Somebody mentioned, I think it was Alan mentioned, that his, his neighbor said, wow, well, you're looking colorful today, or something like that, when he got up. When I, I walked out to turn some water off in my front yard, my next door neighbor was mowing his yard. He had his headphones on. Be aware of that. He had headphones on. I think it was just to protect his ears from his mower, which I could barely hear, but I think that's what it was about. I didn't see him going to anything. Maybe there, were, maybe there was a Bluetooth signal coming from his house. I don't know. But he had his headphones on, and so I snuck up behind him by accident. Really, honestly, I didn't know. I didn't realize he wasn't... Honestly, I didn't like tap him or anything. I had a, I had my, a suit jacket on, which I left in the office because it was hot. I, I had a suit jacket on and my Beatitudes shirt. And so I, start, I turn off the water and I stand up. And I guess when I stood up, I caught the corner of his eye. And he turned around real quick. And he gave me the double take. You know the double take? It's like he's looking at, he looks at me and he goes. <laughs> he didn't say anything. He's a, he's a kind, gentle person. He didn't say anything, but I wonder what was going through his mind. <laughs> Let's see, it's Saturday. He's going to church. He's going to church like that? Isn't he the preacher? What in the world are they doing at that church? <laughs> <laughs> if he only knew, he should come and find out. When you are not fitting the norms, people start to react to you. And those reactions are not always positive. There's a risk to nonconformity. Blessed, Blessings on the people who are per- persecuted because of righteousness. Because of what? righteousness. So if, if you're messing up and you're unrighteous and you're causing problems, you get persecuted. Is this blessing for you? No. If you're going hundred miles an hour down the freeway with a bottle of beer in your hand and the cop pulls you over, writes you up and throws your butt in jail. Is, is that, is this blessing for you? No, he's got a whole different blessing for you. Sober up. We'll talk about this when you wake up in the morning. This is a blessing for the folks who are persecuted because of the change toward righteousness. Because they've started to be merciful and they, they've started to bring peace where they show up. They've started to live differently. Blessed are those who are pure persecuted because of righteousness. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Ticket stamped, reservation made, heaven bound. Now I gotta stop you for a sec. There's a whole bunch of people out there going around blowing themselves up who think that heaven is theirs because they are persecuted, because they've blown themselves up, because they've done some great, great martyr behavior. That's not what this is saying. This is not saying that if you get persecuted, then you get heaven. No, it's saying if you get persecuted, just recognize you have heaven. Let me let me unpack unpack this a little bit. There's an envelope of assurance in this in these beatitudes. Did you see it? A no, an envelope of assurance around it? At the beginning, at the very front end of it, is Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessings on the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. That's the first one, the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessings on the, king, on the poor in spirit. Blessings on those who recognize their spiritual poverty. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Front end. Back end. Blessings on those who are persecuted. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Do you see the envelope of assurance? Do you recognize that it's around the process? That to begin the walk home, to repent and turn towards God is is when grace and mercy cover you. And over the next steps, over the process of the growth of your life, that umbrella remains. That grace covering, that merciful covering remains as you move through it. And when you hit that moment when you're persecuted, and he knew the persecution of the disciples were going to make, we went through a, a series on the disciples this spring. And do you remember how most of them died? They were martyred at the hands of somebody who was angry at them because of their walk with Jesus. Most of the disciples were martyred because of their righteousness. What would you want to know for sure? if you were about to give your life for Jesus, that your eternity was secure. He says, when you recognize your spiritual poverty, I want you to know that recognition puts you in a place where your eternity can be secure. And when you're persecuted and facing who knows what, I want you to know your eternity is secure. There's an envelope of assurance around the process that Jesus is describing, that all by itself is disorienting to everyone around him. It's disruptive to the way they understand the world. Jesus is showing up in a rabbi with a tie-dye robe, a little propeller on his yarmulke. Nobody gets this guy. What's he doing? Why is he like this? Now then, he says makes any sense. It doesn't measure up with anything else we've ever seen. But it rings true somehow. It's encouraging, but it's weird. It's, it's uplifting, but it doesn't fit the box I'm accustomed to. That's Jesus. He's, he's pretty disruptive to your life. Pretty disorienting to your understanding of things. And off he goes. He's saying your eternity is so secure, you don't have to fear suffering or death. This is where you get to the point where you can say, all they can do is kill me. I don't think there are a lot of people who are out there just hoping that will happen. But if you were being dragged off to prison for your faith, if you could shrug your shoulders and say, all they could do is kill me, the next thing I see is Jesus. Okay. Can you imagine the pressure that would remove at that moment? When someone was asking you to deny your faith, and you recognize, all they can do is kill me, and the next thing I see is Jesus. Your eternity is so secure in the hands of God that you need not worry about suffering or death. How cool is that? You see, when Jesus states what he states in the Beatitudes, these these are the these are the constitutional acts. These are the the constitutional statements of a reform that is a revolution. These are completely different from what anybody understood before. Death. You have lost the battle. Death, your power to hurt is gone. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives its sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul got it, and man, he summed it up well. He's actually quoting the Old Testament Scripture. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. Thanks be to God. Sin has lost its hold. Sin has lost its power. And my eternity is in the hand of God. Wow. His promise is that life ahead of you is better than the life you live. Now stop. Ask if that's true for you. Ask if you live like that. Do I live like the life ahead of me is better than the life I live? Do I walk down the street with the assurance that the life that is ahead of me is better than the life I live? Or am I trying to make The life I live, heaven. Am I trying to do all the right things so that I can stretch this out as long as possible and so that I can make this as good as possible? Now, I'm not arguing for a lack of planning, I'm not arguing for a lack of saving. I'm not even arguing for you to, only to, for you to, for you to live at home and, and, and in your little box and give away everything you have. I'm not arguing for any of that. There's no vow of poverty required for Christianity, though for some it has been true. What I am arguing for is an attitude, an adjustment. Stop trying to build heaven on earth and start recognizing that heaven is heaven. And it is beyond your wildest imagination. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love him. And God's sitting on his throne with this gift saying, stop trying to build heaven on earth. You can't. I have something planned that's awesome. Stop trying to make awesome out of messiness. Stop trying to make awesome out of brokenness. Start trying to make awesome out of sinfulness. It isn't going to work. I don't want you to not be comfortable, buy a nice bed, sleep well, travel when you want to, but stop trying to make this heaven, it isn't going to work. The God of heaven, what a perspective. He sits there on the hill that day, and he said, you guys, man, you don't understand. Even when you're persecuted on the earth, the worst they can do is kill you, and the next thing you see is me. No sweat. What a change in attitude. What a disorienting picture. Jesus is totally disorienting. Yes? No? Did you grow up with Jesus in your life for so long that you're just oriented toward Jesus and so disorienting doesn't happen to you? That would be awesome. That would be great. Wouldn't that be wonderful if your, cho- your children grew up in the church their whole life and, and walking with Jesus was never disorienting? it's like, that's what it's supposed to be. This is, how it work. this is how it works. We walk with Jesus and this is how life works. Wouldn't it be cool? We live on a pretty messy planet and, and that child has not been born yet, but man, if it could be yours, wouldn't it be cool? Jesus is disorienting because of the mess we live in. He comes along to a group of people who have spent their entire lives trying to earn salvation. They've spent their entire lives trying to figure out what God wants them to do. It's why the rich young ruler ruler comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to be saved? Jesus answers, Hey, keep the commandments. And the guy says, I've done that since my childhood. You see, the guy thought he had done all the right things, but he still knew he wasn't saved. The guy was recognizing he was doing everything anyone told him to do. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he was doing it, and yet he recognized he wasn't saved. Do you understand? This is a revelation of the brokenness, of the seed inside of us that wants to make God save us. going to be so good he has to take me to heaven no you're not no you're not Jesus shows up to those very folks and he says salvation is not gained it's given blessed are the poor in spirit when they recognize their poverty spiritually boom reservation for heaven Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pretty clear. Salvation is not gained; you're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves is, not that not of yourselves it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I got that a little mixed up on there, didn't I? It's a gift. Gifts are free. Disorienting. Persecution, persecution is an avenue to blessings. Huh. Joseph, your brothers are going to throw you into a pit. They're going to leave you there till they figure out what to do to you. And then along will come some Midianites and they're going to sell you to some cousins of yours. And those cousins of yours are going to haul you off to Egypt and they're going to sell you to some Egyptians. And you're going to go to the house of a man named Potiphar and his wife's going to accuse you of something you didn't do. You're going to be hauled off and thrown into jail for that. And oh, by the way, it'll be a blessing. (laughs) Anybody signing up for that blessing? Oh, by the way, it'll take 17 years of blessings for the blessing to show up. One day, along will come the Pharaoh looking for a guy like you. Blessings from God don't come to you in the way blessings from everything else come to you. Blessings in every other thing come because you earn them. Blessings from God come in the most outrageous of ways ways you wouldn't choose ways you don't earn, don't earn but always from God Jesus equality with God is probably the one thing most everyone agreed on should get him crucified Jesus' claim of an equality with God is the one thing that everyone agreed should get him crucified. The fact that Jesus claimed equality with God. Blessings are on you when people slander and persecute you and say all kinds of wicked things about you falsely because of me. Blessings are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. So by, by the way, blessings on you when you're persecuted because of me. He's equating himself and righteousness, which everybody believed, everybody understood, was what it meant to follow God. Disorienting, confusing, disruptive of the norms. It's like taking a white t-shirt, tying it up in knots and throwing it into some blue and blue and green and white, or maybe just blue and blue and green and. I don't know. It's disorienting. It's disruptive. Is your spiritual life, is your walk with God ever disorienting? Are you ever finding yourself on a different page from the world around you? Are you ever watching the news or reading the paper and and going, man, I don't know, I don't seem to fit in like I thought I should or used to or would? Is is it ever disorienting to the people around you? Is it ever disorienting to you? Or are you just cruising along? Flying low, flying level, flying fast. Or does it kind of tilt you sometimes? Does it kick you into the wind sometimes? You see, if Jesus is saying anything in these Beatitudes, he's saying, life following me is disruptive. You're going to recognize spiritual poverty. It's going to break your heart. You're going to strive and hunger and wish you could come to righteousness. And then I'm going to be the answer. And then you're going to change. But the change you're going to find is you're going to become merciful and peaceful. And then when you get merciful and peaceful, when you expect, hey, I'm merciful and peaceful, everybody should love me. I mean, who doesn't love merciful and peaceful? Then people are going to persecute you. But don't worry. Even that's a blessing. You read the New Testament, you find the disciples getting beaten and scourged and coming out of their jail cell praising God for having been allowed to suffer as Jesus suffered. You find them being captured and thrown into a jail. And the answer is, I know what we should do. Let's sing songs. Tossed into the ocean, beaten, stoned, This is the life of the followers of Jesus in the first century. Frankly, I'm just cruising comparatively. Not very disoriented, not very disrupted. Maybe I'm not very merciful, not very peaceful. Not not so different. I'm really grateful for the covering that goes from the beginning of a recognition of spiritual poverty to the day of persecution. Blessed are you when you recognize your spiritual poverty because in that is a stamp for heaven. Blessed are you when you're suffering persecution because all they can do is kill you and your eternity is in my hand. Salvation is not gained, it's given. Persecution is an avenue for blessing Jesus and God are equal. It's not a start. It's not a start that Jesus is describing. It's a restart. It's not a start. It's a restart. You ever you ever watch a race and, and see them get started at the wrong time? You know, they're, they're all lined up for the 100-meter sprint, and uh, somebody flinches and everybody takes off. And they're all like, ah... That, that athlete run, like they're slowing down, but it takes like 30 yards to slow down. And then they turn around they walk back. Man, I blew a whole start right there. Get all the way back. Get back in the blocks. Restarting is disruptive. In fact, in order to restart, you have to be disoriented. It has to throw you off. You have to go back and recognize you're not in the right place and start over. Disorientation is part of restarting. Jesus is not describing a start. Start was sin. He, Jesus starting, is describing a restart. Change of your direction. Change of your motivation. Change of what you're going, where you're going and what you're doing and why. And the last one's the hardest of them all. It's not a start, it's a restart. Disorientation is required in order to be reoriented. Jesus is a nonconformist, and he's inviting you to join him. He's inviting you and I to no longer be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. A change in mind, a change in heart, a change in direction, change in belief, a change in the way we think about things, a change in motivation. That's the transformation Jesus offers. Once you know he's got your back, you can walk boldly into any situation. Once you know he's got you covered, you can face the thing about you that you hate the most and take it straight to God. Once you know He's got you covered by His grace, you can strike out in faith to the next big thing that's scary to you. Once you know He's got you covered by His grace, washed in His blood, you can know that even death is not a threat because your eternity is secure in Jesus' hands. Once you have bound yourself to Him, the outcome is determined by Him. We don't have to be tomorrow what we are today. The life that he promised is abundant and full, and he's waiting there for us to arrive. The heaven that he's built is beyond your wildest dream. And the coolest thing anybody who recognizes their spiritual poverty and comes to Jesus could do have somebody by the hand take them with you. Let's pray. Amen. Father in heaven, we know the world we live in is a mess and if, if we've learned anything by watching a whole year's worth of rain fall in a week. We've learned that this planet we're living on can't be trusted for our future. That the things we lean on are weak and faltering and likely to break. So today for the first time for some here we're going to lean on you. And today for the thousandth time for some here we're going to lean on you. We're going to trust you with our spiritual poverty and the recognition that we're heartbroken by it. And we're going to be honest about it with you and, and, and come humbly to you and say yep that's who I really am. We're going to seek the comfort that only you can provide in the righteousness that is in Christ. We commit ourselves to living a life more like Jesus than like us. We pray for the presence and authority of the Holy Spirit to walk us through what is clearly not a path we even know how to travel. In Jesus' name.